Corinthians 12, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, Pastor Ryan, where, oh, don't go away. Is that the first time you've ever heard me sing that song? Did you like it? Very much. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Someone said you were smiling ear to ear. The whole time. Does that mean that I can sing with, with you and others who know how to sing now? Really? Okay, he's being nice to the boss. All right. (laughs) Second Corinthians chapter 12, please, in your Bible with me. And I love music. I'm not good at music. I'm not musical on any level, but I do love music. I love a certain kind of music, though. I, I like stuff that's older. I think that was probably out of the 1950s, that particular song. Um, Evangelist Phil Schuler, right out of the 1950s. I'm going to tell you something. I think that, that this is probably true, the statement I'm going to make. It is a guess, and I believe it's probably true. I think we are the only church in America where tonight that song was sung. Amen. So see what a unique location you've chosen to worship tonight. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12. I I want to talk about something this evening that I think will be practical for us. And I want to deal with the topic of prayer. But not just prayer, but sometimes when we are disappointed in prayer. Now listen carefully. Christians sometimes have the idea that, well, uh, prayer, and we'll get into definitions in a moment, but Christians sometimes have the idea that prayer is going to get me everything I want. That crazy idea has been promoted publicly with the uh, Health, Wealth, and Jesus Too movement, the Prosperity Gospel movement. And it's very, very problematic because what it does is it promises people something that the Bible never promises. Now, fundamentally, I want to know something about God. God is a prayer-hearing, prayer-answering God. That's fundamental. Years ago, a great book you could read, years ago by Dr. John R. Rice, Prayer, Asking, and Receiving, one of the finest books ever written on the topic of prayer because it, it made things very simple asking and receiving. But in that book, he talks about the attitude that a person must have in approaching the Lord in prayer. And we're going to do something. We'll look at this passage to give you a Bible example of someone who, and the words may be a little, a little overstated, but who at least experienced some level of disappointment in prayer. So there are a lot of Christians who, who don't pray very much because they'll tell me it doesn't work. Someone said to me one time, a Christian said to me, this is several years ago, said, you know, Pastor Monty, prayer just doesn't work for me. God does not answer my prayers. I do not believe that is true for any born-again Christian. But part of our problem is our attitude toward prayer. So I want us to look at something in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 by way of illustration, and then we're going to go somewhere else in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1. Paul says this, It is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. I will come to uh, visions and revelations of the Lord. So uh, Paul was a man to whom the Lord had given great visions and revelations. He had also uh, met with Jesus, Paul did, for about three years in personal training. Verse number two, I knew a man in Christ, Paul says. Now, he's going to speak here in the third person, okay? He is, this is a literary device. He is making reference to himself in this. This is universally agreed by Bible scholars, but he is speaking in the third person, and there's a reason for that. You're going to see that in just a moment. I knew man Christ of about 14 years ago, whether in this body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth such a one caught up to the third heaven. 
there is a wealth of interesting questions that come from that verse. But Paul was talking about an experience that he had with the Lord. And then it says in verse number uh, three, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell God knoweth. That repeated two times, okay? So whether he was physically caught up to heaven or whether it was his spirit caught up to heaven or whether it was a vision, this whole thing was unclear to the apostle Paul. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. In other words, he was given secrets. I think he caught a glimpse of what glory was like But he said, I hath not here in another place, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So he is describing a revelation that he had. He is not repeating all of that revelation. And then verse number five, he says, of such a one will I glory, not of myself, I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. Okay, that is a very key uh, message to the whole passage. Paul is talking about himself, but he says, I'm not trying to heap upon myself self-aggrandizement or glory. His purpose here is humility, but his purpose also is to demonstrate that God had communicated to him on a level that God had not communicated to other people. The apostles were very unique. The apostle Paul among them was very, very unique. And so he talks about the fact that uh, he would glory in his infirmities. Now, why? For though I would desire to glory, I'd love to tell you all about everything that I saw, I shall not be a fool. I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any, I'm going to stop talking about it, that means, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that which he heareth of me. So he's saying, I want to maintain a level of humility, I want you to know that I had unique revelations from the Lord, but I want to maintain a level of humility. And then verse number seven, he gives this whole background about his unique revelations from the Lord, because in verse number seven, he says this, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. In other words, lest Paul would be viewed as superhuman, or Paul would be viewed as something beyond this world. Lest Paul would be honored too heavily. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. I've often taught the thorn in the flesh, I believe, firmly am convinced, it was a physical malady because it was a thorn in the flesh. It was some kind of physical problem. It also had a spiritual dimension in that it was the messenger of Satan, and this was given or allowed by God in order to buffet or plague the Apostle Paul in order for him to maintain humility. You know, he was a human being like anybody else, and it would be very easy for a man to be exalted above measure, and so he was given this thorn in the flesh. It was allowed by God. It was the messenger of Satan to buffet him. It had a dark side spiritual component to it, lest I should be exalted above measure. Measure. Verse number eight, for this thing that is the thorn in the flesh, whatever that thorn was, <laughs> likely a physical malady. Everyone likes to speculate. Was it his eyesight? I, I, it might have been. Was it some other physical problem? Whatever. I think it was a physical problem. He says, for this thing, now note the next words, I besought the Lord thrice, that is three times, that it might depart from me. Now, now pause there for a moment. This is the Apostle Paul admitting that on three occasions 
he earnestly prayed that this physical malady would be cured. Does everyone see that on the page of your Bible? Three times he prayed for this, three times. Now listen carefully to what I'm going to say. It is appropriate to ask God for healing. That is appropriate. We pray for many, many people to be healed and ask God to give them strength and grace through their problem. Uh, It is fully appropriate to do that. It is also appropriate, just as it is appropriate to ask, it is appropriate for God to say no. Now let me explain something. God being God, he knows what is best. When God says no to a prayer request that I have, rather than becoming bent out of shape like an entitled millennial, rather than becoming bent out of shape, I should recognize that God is God and that I don't have a right to be angry with God or disappointed because he has a purpose beyond. But I think it should be encouraging to every person in this room that God does not always answer all of our prayer requests in our affirmative. Everyone following me so far? And Paul prayed three times that it would depart. It did not depart. But the Lord sent him a message. And he, the Lord, said unto me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then he takes it a step further in verse number 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, the physical malady, whatever it is. He says, now I've changed my attitude toward it. Three times the Lord said no. Now I've changed my attitude toward it. I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in necessities, that means in having needs, in persecution, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now notice, three times he prayed, three times he was denied an answer, except for one. The Lord said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. God had a purpose beyond the Apostle Paul's comfort or convenience in allowing whatever malady he allowed. In this exchange, you don't see anywhere the Apostle Paul saying, well, you know, folks, I prayed three times and I've given up on prayer. Quite to the contrary, listen carefully, prayer changed the heart and the attitude of the Apostle toward what God was doing. And his conclusion in verse number 10 is that whatever God is doing, now by the way, this doesn't discourage prayer. Do not be discouraged about prayer. But whatever God is doing when God says no is bigger than what I understand in my own life and I trust in what he's doing. Now, having said that, now take your Bible and turn back to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six. A very familiar passage where our Lord taught his disciples how to pray. By the way, He was not teaching them specifically what to pray, as in the recitation of words. I'll get nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer, but he wasn't teaching them what to pray. He was teaching them how to pray. Look at Matthew chapter 6, please, with me, (laughs) if you will. Matthew 6, verse 6. Jesus said this, But when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. That is not 
a polemic against public prayer. We understand that prayers were offered in the services of the early church. Public prayer is fine. Public prayer should not be our only prayer. Our best prayer and most intimate prayer is when we're entirely alone with God. When we're walking with him, when we take time to separate ourselves from everyone else, from our cell phone, from everything else, all the distractions of this world, and bring our request to God. And our best prayer is private prayer. So that it's prayer that is not pretentious. It's prayer that is not for a show. It is prayer that is a meeting with God, me and God alone. And it is prayer that I'm never obligated to share with anyone else. The very best uh, prayers I've ever prayed in my life have not been done in this auditorium. They've not been done behind a microphone anywhere. The very best of my praying has always been when I'm alone with God and can speak heart to heart with God, with God my Father. So he says, he says, do this alone. But then he says this, verse number seven. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions. And I want you to notice the word vain. The word vain means empty or meaningless. Okay, prayer is never to be regarded as an incantation. An incantation is something that we mutter, almost like it is a spell. It is something that has become so rote to our memory that we simply say words. Repeating the same prayer request, listen carefully, is not wrong so long as there is a sincerity and earnestness about it. When you're a child, sometimes you're taught to pray a prayer. This is one that I learned when I was a kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. How many know this? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Okay? Nothing wrong with that prayer. Nothing wrong with the theology of that prayer. But when I was a kid and I didn't know anything, I would just utter those words sometimes, okay? Or in my heart, quietly in my heart, I would just say that. I think I got nervous at night and was afraid at night and things happen at night and things go bump in the night. And so I would, I would utter that often <laughs> just in my heart and in my mind. But because it became automatic, it became a vain repetition. There is nothing wrong with repeating a prayer request. Let me ask this, how many of you and you don't, I'm not going to ask you to say what it is, so don't worry about that. I won't ask you to say anything. How many of you say, Pastor Monty, there's something about which I have been praying for at least one year? Look at all the hands. Yeah, my hand included, okay? Um, you say, Pastor Monty, why doesn't God just answer instantly? We're going to get into that in a moment, okay? How many would say, Pastor, there's something I've been praying for for at least two years? Yeah, yeah, two years. I, I think if we kept on with that, some of us, we could go into the decade-long prayer request. There is nothing wrong with asking God for the same thing because that is on our hearts. What Jesus is teaching here is that we ought not to engage in vain repetitions. So verse number seven again, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. They believe that somehow their vocalization and not their heart gets the attention of God. It is not the sound of the prayer that gets the attention of God, but it is the heart of the one who is praying. 
Everyone in this room is aware that you can pray earnestly without uttering a sound. We all know that. The heathen or pagan religions, they will repeat things over and over again, and it all becomes repetition. It, is, uh, it, can, be a, it, it can be impressive to a visitor, but then after you've heard it 500 times, you realize people are just saying things because they're supposed to be saying things. That is vain repetition. It does not mean you cannot repeat the same prayer request. So Jesus said in verse number 8, Be not ye therefore like unto them. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. God is all-knowing. Now, we are still told in Scripture, let your request be made known unto God. Paul said that in the book of Philippians. We're still told to let our request be made known unto God. Part of that, it's not for God. It's not for us to inform God. But part of that is to demonstrate the earnestness of our heart, and part of it is for us. So then in verse number 9, Jesus said, After this manner, therefore pray ye. Now notice those words specifically. After this manner. He did not say, repeat these words. It is okay to pray the Lord's Prayer if you pray the Lord's Prayer from your heart. But it becomes a vain repetition when in every church service or every day or several times a day, you repeat that as a mantra or you repeat that as an enchantment. Okay, that is where it becomes a vain repetition. (laughs) But he says, in this manner, pray. So what is the manner? The manner of something has to do with your bearing or your attitude. So he's focusing on the disciples. And he says, when you approach God in prayer, your bearing and your attitude needs to be right. And then he gives what we call the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes it's called the model prayer. Here's what I want to do tonight quickly. I want to break down the Lord's Prayer for you in just a few moments and give you some ideas about potential wrong attitudes that we have in prayer that do not reflect the manner of praying, the bearing of praying, that Jesus was talking about here. So in verse number 9, he said, After this manner, therefore pray ye, first thing, our Father which art in heaven. Now I want you to notice that. My first attitude in prayer is that I am addressing God as my Father. That shows a couple things. It shows, number one, a relationship with God. Number two, it shows a closeness in that relationship with God. Number three, it demonstrates an authority in in my relationship with God. He is my Father. I can come to him openly and freely with everything that is in my heart, but I still respect him as my father. Too many people today address God as my errand boy, which is in heaven. The guy that's going to get me the stuff I want and do the things I want, which is in heaven. And there are a number of popular preachers today who tell you that you can be borderline disrespectful to God. I don't know about you, But if I wanted something from my dad, if I manifest any level of demanding and disrespect, I didn't get it. One of the most criminal methods in child rearing is to give children things they whine for. 
Because when you do that, you are rewarding their whining. Have you ever seen a lady pushing grocery cart? She has a toddler, he's in the terrible twos, and he sees something on the shelf and he grabs that thing and puts it in the cart. She takes it off, the, and it's just something random, by the way. The kid really doesn't want it. They don't even know what it is. Just something random, she takes it out of the cart, she puts it back, and then the kid pitches a huge fit. You ever seen that, shopping? Sure you have. You know what, um, if she puts that back in the cart, to silence the child, she has taught that child that the child is in charge and not the parent. When we approach God in prayer, we have that relationship with God as our Father, but that, and that relationship is close and it's an intimate relationship, but it is not a relationship where we position ourselves to demand. And so some people are like, well, someone said to me years and years ago, Pastor, my prayer just doesn't work for me. God doesn't answer my prayers. And they said it with kind of an attitude. And that in and of itself is a wrong way to approach God. We approach him closely in a relationship, but we do not approach him as an errand boy. Years ago, a man wrote a book entitled Disappointed with God. And in the book, he described the uh, attitude that, well, if you're, if you're mad at God, just scream at him. Just yell at him. That's horrible. If I were to scream and yell at my father, I don't think I'd be getting anything, including supper, for the next week, Okay. You treat God as a father, that means a close relationship, but it means with respect. So it's our father which art in heaven, not our errand boy. Then notice the next phrase in the end of verse number nine, hallowed be thy name. What is that? In prayer, I am focusing on God, not me. Too many times people who pray approach God with the, with the uh, attitude of God, I'm giving you a few minutes of my time. Now give me your attention. And it's all about me. That is very problematic when it comes to prayer. Because Jesus said after this manner, we're going to dress God as our father and then we're going to think about the majesty of God. We're not thinking about ourselves and how we deserve an audience with the king. I don't deserve an audience with the king. My audience with the king was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm encouraged to come boldly to the throne of grace, but it is not so that the spotlight can be on me. It is so that the spotlight can be on him. Does everyone follow how this takes prayer a little bit deeper? Because it's very easy for us to focus only on ourselves when we pray and not to focus on God. Jesus said, in this manner pray, (coughs) hallowed be thy name. In prayer, our focus then is on God, his person, his perfection, his power. So God is our father, not our errand boy. We hallow his name. We are not demanding his attention. And then look what it says in the next verse down. Verse number 10. Thy kingdom come. Now, by the way, who's, where, where's the focus there? It is on God. Again, our focus is on God. Notice it does not say, my kingdom come. It says, thy kingdom come. The first thing we do in prayer is recognize that there is a bigger purpose beyond the very small scope of my own needs and concerns. A lot of people, and by the way, you say, Pastor Money, what's the purpose? It's the kingdom of God. Now, how many of us, when we pray, honestly say, Lord, thy kingdom come with the abandon that means, Lord, we want your kingdom regardless of our desire. Not many of us do that. We skip over that part 
And what we pray for? We pray typically for the preservation of what is temporary rather than the advancing of the future. Now, I want to make this statement. It is great to pray about every need that you have, and you should. You should go to God with every single need that you have. But the manner of that prayer should be bigger than the very low horizon of your life. It should be something that says, Lord, in the grand scheme of things, thy kingdom come. You can bring any prayer request before the Lord. Anything, oh, Pastor Monty, I've had an ingrown toenail for two years. Can I pray about that? You absolutely can. But don't just focus on that. The Lord says the manner of our praying should be broader and wider and bigger than focusing on whatever little problem or issue that I'm facing. And so many times the main focus of our prayer is, Lord, preserve things exactly as they are now with no reference to his coming kingdom. Now let me ask you a question. How many, how many of you don't like change? My hand is up. I, I don't like change. I'm not one to enjoy change. But ultimately, everything in this world is going to change. Everything that we hold on to so tightly is one day going to melt with a fervent heat. All of the life that we rightly hold on, because we believe human life is sacred, all of the life that we rightly hold on to, one day that is going to drain from our body should the Lord tarry his coming. And we hold on to that so tightly that sometimes in prayer we forget God has something bigger. Someone said to me one time, Pastor, I asked God to heal so-and-so, and that person died. And, and we don't like it when people die. But ultimately, is God not in control? And ultimately, don't all of us have to step outside of the confines of this, this earth that we live in? We sure do. And one day, every person in this room, should the Lord tarry is coming, one day all of us is going to die. And do you know what that means? That is an advancement toward the kingdom of God. If I live another five years, another 10 years, another 20 years, that puts me five years or 10 years or 20 years closer to the kingdom of God. And my attitude in prayer needs to be bigger than myself. Rather than praying, my kingdom come, we pray thy kingdom come. Then look what it says in verse number 10 again. Thy will be done. Now, no one would ever pray the prayer, my will be done. You know why we won't do that? Because we know our Bibles well enough. We're not, we're not about to do that. But we all will pray, thy will be done. But if any of us is honest, very secretly, we, though we grudgingly acknowledge God's will, we secretly hope that it conforms to our own will. I'm not going to ask you to confess this tonight, but um, oftentimes we prayed. So I pray, I've done this many, many times. I prayed for someone that I love who is very, very sick and maybe going to be in the presence of the Lord. And I have very sincerely asked the Lord to heal them. And then I will tagline that with, Lord, thy will be done. Okay, you know why I tagline it with that? Because the Bible says I have to, (laughs) okay? But in my heart, and this is okay, we're, we're just being real tonight. In my heart, I'm praying, Lord, I just really want, I really want that one healed. I, Lord, I've got a list of other ones you could take, but, but this one over here, I, 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 really want, I really want this one to be healed. And then I say, because I know it's biblical, thy will be done, but I almost say it grudgingly with this real secret hope that my will is in conformity with God's will. And because I have that little bit of secret hope, in all honesty, if the Lord chooses to take them home, I get a little disappointed. 
Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands about that, but I'm confessing to you some of the prayers that I prayed. I just get a little disappointed in that. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus said, if we're praying after this manner, from our hearts we're praying, thy will be done. God, we will be satisfied. We will be, I almost hesitate to use this word, we will be happy with your will being done. And that is a very difficult thing. So prayer, the attitude of prayer, the manner or bearing of prayer is a much higher uh, responsibility and a much higher challenge than what we may have thought. So uh, praying thy will be done rather than my will be done. And then verse number 11, give us this day our daily bread. We don't really pray that. Do you know why? Our daily bread's at Walmart. And all we have to do is go over there and get some. But what we do pray sometimes is this. Rather than, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, we ask God to give us things in abundance. In fact, truth be told, we're Americans. And we're competitive. And we get jealous of each other. And truth be told, if we don't have an abundance, we quietly feel slighted. And we wonder why, well, Pastor, I just don't, I, I, people say stuff like, I, I just don't understand why God's blessed so-and-so. So I, I just can't even imagine why God would bless him. So I had a pastor say something like that to me one time. I don't even imagine why God would bless them so much and why God doesn't bless me so much. When the Bible says, my attitude in prayer, the manner of my prayer should be, Lord, give me my daily bread and with that I'm satisfied. In other words, the attitude of my prayer should be this, enough is enough. But enough is not really enough because what the prosperity gospel says is if you pray the right way, you're going to drive a pink Cadillac or something. Enough should be enough, but in our way of thinking, enough is not really enough. And abundance has become our minimal requirement. So we ask God not just for daily bread, but for things that go way beyond daily bread. You know what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8? He said, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Now that is a pretty minimalist goal. Minimalism, by the way, is very fashionable today. That is a minimalist goal. Food, something to eat, and raiment. Jesus said, pray for your daily bread. Ask God to make a provision that is enough, but don't seek and abundance. Now listen carefully to what I'm going to say. If you've been blessed by God with an abundance, which by the way, every person in this room has, we all have more than we need. We have more food than we can eat. And we're all overweight. Almost all of us are overweight. There's a couple irritating exceptions in the room. Uh, if, we, if we understand how abundant we have life today, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're simply saying, Lord, it is enough if that's what you limit us to. Does everyone see the difference in our prayer? It changes our whole attitude. And then look at verse number 12. Because here, here's really where it really gets sticky. Jesus said, this is the manner of our prayer. Forgive us our debts. Okay, Pastor Monty, you should stop reading right there. I can't stop reading because it's all in the Bible. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you know what our prayer is often? Lord, forgive us our issue with you, regardless of how we feel about somebody else. 
Forgive us our debt, even though we're not willing to forgive others what they owe us. Lord, we want from you a great deal of grace, even when we are unwilling to extend grace to someone else. Drop down to verse number 14. Jesus expounds on verse number 12 and verse number 14. He said, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Okay, forgiveness by God is determined in the sense of practicality by my willingness to forgive other people. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Is that pretty clear? And that's why in verse number 12, give, pardon me, yeah, verse number 12, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Our manner of praying should be this. Lord, I've been gracious in forgiveness to X, Y, and Z, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. Lord, on that basis, I'm asking you to be gracious in forgiveness to me. Now, the forgiveness that all of us experience is based solely and wholly on the grace of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Don't you ever forget that, okay? That's the basis for it all. But on a practical level, if I want God to forgive me my sins, and I certainly do, then how dare I hold anything against any other human being? And so very effectively, our manner of prayer, though we would never utter these words, folks, but our manner of prayer becomes, uh, Lord, just forgive me whether I forgive other people or not. Forgive me, but don't forgive them. Forgive me because somehow I'm deserving and worthy, but Lord, don't even think about forgiving them because they're a dirty, rotten, low-down scoundrel. And that's sometimes our attitude. How dare we approach God seeking his forgiveness when we refuse to forgive others? Now remember what we're talking about. Jesus said this is the manner of our prayer. If I'm holding a grudge, if I'm holding bitterness, if I'm holding resentment, if I have broken relationships that I have not tried to repair. Now, now look, folks, you can't always fix a broken relationship, but you need to be the one who tries. And you need to be the in- initiator. And in your life, well, Pastor, I'm, 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 I'm not going to go to that guy until he comes to me. The Bible doesn't say that. You approach him because you know there's an issue between the two of you. You do that very, very rapidly. I had an issue with someone not a member of our church. It was a neighbor uh, about a year ago or something like that. I had said something and he took it the wrong way. And another neighbor told me, so-and-so's a little offended by you because you said something. And he took it. And I said, well, he took it totally the wrong way. He says, yeah, but he's offended by you. I got on the phone immediately. By the way, to an unsaved neighbor, I got on the phone immediately to that neighbor. And I said, hey, called him by name. I said, hey, I said, I, I, I said something that offended you. I said, I want you to forgive me. And the guy was, frankly, was blown away. He said, oh, no, 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 you're fine, you're fine. No, 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 no. I said, I know that you're irritated. And I said, I want you to know I didn't mean it that way. And I said, I want you to forgive me. And he said, well, yeah, pastor, you know, I forgive you, I forgive you. That's no problem at all. Never think about it again, he said. But I felt better after that because it was the right thing to do scripturally. So uh, when, it says, when it says we're to forgive others, there are no exceptions to that. We want to take God's grace, and yet we fail to extend it. That is nothing short of outrageous. Now, look at verse number 13. This is an interesting verse. It can be taken a couple different ways. Verse number 13, And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil, okay? I personally think temptation there means a trial because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. The word temptation does not always mean a temptation to sin. Sometimes it can mean a trial. The word evil in the Bible does not always carry a moral connotation. I need to listen carefully. Uh, How many of you would say, Pastor Monty, within the last year, this gives, this should include everybody, unless you're walking in a different world. Within the last year, I've had what I would call a bad day. Oh yeah, oh yeah, sure, sure, okay. In the Bible, sometimes the word evil does not carry a moral connotation. It just means bad because it's negative toward me, as in this, an evil day, an evil day. When the Bible uses that phraseology, it's not saying that day is particularly evil. That particular calendar date is a very dark and evil day. No, it's just saying it was a bad day or an evil storm or evil weather. Okay, does everybody follow me? It is kind of an old-fashioned way to express it, but that is possible to find in the Bible. So the word evil, um, you know, someone says, Pastor Monty, God is the author of evil because the Bible says, I, the Lord, create evil. Stop it. By the way, that's the silliest Calvinistic uh, uh, argument I've ever heard. It doesn't mean God creates moral evil. He does not. But God creates chaos in the wind and in the rain and judgment that is viewed by human beings as bad. And the word evil can legitimately be used in the English language to describe something we view as bad without a moral connotation. Okay, so now that I've explained that, we were to pray with this bearing Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you know what our temptation is to pray? We often pray, Lord, get me out of the mess I've made. Our prayers, our bearing in prayer, is reactive rather than proactive. It is reactive to the mess we create in our lives rather than being preventative. So now let me ask you a question with that in mind. And don't have to answer the question. But have you ever prayed this? Lord, please prevent something from happening. Lord, please, and I'm not just talking about the weather because you have a picnic planned, okay? (laughs) I'm not talking about that. But Lord, please prevent something from happening. Lord, Lord, deliver us from the possibility of something bad happening. One of the ways we do that sometimes, and it's a good way to pray. We're going to go on a journey somewhere, a trip, and we pray, Lord, please give us travel mercies. We're fulfilling that scripture because we're asking God to prevent something bad from happening, okay? But you know you can do that throughout your whole life because that's our manner of prayer. It is not just, Lord, we're in a mess, or Lord, even worse, we've created a mess, and now Lord, deliver us from that. But it is this, Lord, keep us from the mess in the first place. Lord, protect us. We want to be proactive, and we're saying, Lord, please guide us, guard us, watch over us, and keep us. That's genuine praying. Most of us, if we're honest, pray as a knee-jerk reaction to something bad, and we never thought about asking God to prevent something bad. Now, I personally believe God does that over and over in our lives. You say, Pastor Monty, I was was so upset because uh, the traffic was bad and, and it took me an extra five minutes to get here. How many know that extra five minutes could have saved your life? You may not have been involved in something that you could have been involved in. 
How much better to learn to pray, Lord, keep me from these things. Hide me from these things. Preserve me from these things. Before I'm in the mess, Lord, preserve me from it. Jesus said that's one of our attitudes in prayer. Pastor Monty, what if, um, what if God doesn't answer my prayer? Do you see how we've turned this around in our thinking? Sometimes God says no for his purpose. If God does not answer my prayer, then my prayer should have been from the get-go, thy will be done. Well, Pastor, I just don't believe in all this prayer stuff because it just doesn't work. It always works when you pray in the manner Jesus said to pray. Prayer is always effective and always powerful. When you adopt the attitude that Jesus, well, Pastor, I, 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 just, uh, I just don't think it's working and nothing's happening and nothing's ever changing and I'm frustrated with God. You'll never hear the voice of God like Paul did in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for thee. You'll never with that kind of attitude look for the hand of God who is allowing this for his own purpose. You'll never in the attitude of Paul say now my heart has changed and my thinking has changed and now I take pleasure in infirmities. And then he lists a whole bunch of other things. This makes me happy because when I'm at my weakest, then am I strong. When I don't have strength myself, it is then that God channels his grace to me and he manifests himself to me. Ladies and gentlemen, prayer changes our attitude. Now that's deep. It's different because sometimes we are like little children with unmet expectations who go through life disappointed. This I can say, you can never, ever, ever be disappointed with God when you have the bearing, the manner, the attitude of prayer that Jesus said. And folks, I'll tell you, that will change your prayer life because every prayer that is prayed in this manner, in this heart, and in this attitude will not only be heard by God, but it will form in you a Christ-like character that can change your life. Preacher, has God answered every prayer in you? No, no, he has not. But you know what? In the ones he has not answered the way I wanted him to, he's poured out his grace in abundance beyond anything I could imagine. He's changed things, he's done things, he's worked through things. In the darkest moments of life, he manifests himself and every one of those prayers, though there would be people who would have a list, here's my answered prayers, here's the one God didn't answer, okay? And there's nothing wrong with lists like that. It's all about my heart attitude. Because there is a God in heaven who knows what is best for me. And when I approach him, I approach him as a father, a son would approach a father, and I say, Lord, thy will be done. Father, I pray. You'll take our thought, our little lesson about prayer tonight, and help us, Lord, to understand that we are instructed to pray in a way that is reflective of the words and the heart attitude of Jesus. We are to pray about everything, and you've told us to come boldly to the throne of grace, but we come, Lord, with not the wrong attitude, but with the right attitude, to the best of our ability. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to the hearts of folks tonight. By the raise of hands we had a moment ago, 
There are many of us who have a prayer request that we've asked you to answer for years. And Father, we will continue praying. But Lord, perhaps in this juncture, we'll adopt a little bit different spirit. We're not going to be secretly resentful or angry or doubting or even questioning your existence, how, how foolish and childish that is. But Father, we're going to trust because we believe what you said. and We're going to approach prayer just a little bit differently as we come before the throne of grace. Thank you, Lord, for your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Stand with me, everyone.